and broadcast in the hope that these authentic accounts of men and women of war will bring you a better understanding of the job being done by our fighting forces everywhere in the world. Until you get back there in the foxhole, I hope you'll dig this fine job here. And all I can say is groovy, groovy success, and so long for now. Uh, thank you, CP. Thank you. Good morning, Vietnam. And tracks are churning back and forth with our loads of Marines. And we can see one. It looks like a tank burning in there on the shore. By the way, fellas, what kept you so long? So I've committed more than 20,000 additional American troops to Iraq. When the soldiers shall leave the battlefield, six their swords in the sand of the sea, and set the war no more. I remembered the line from the Hindu scripture, the Bhagavad Gita. Now I am become death, the destroyer of worlds. This is the United States Armed Forces Radio Service, the voice of information and education. Back to Theme Time Radio Hour. As you know, we cover a lot of ground here, but this week's subject has a greater gravity than usual. Plato once said, only the dead have seen the end of war, and sadly it is as true today as it was then. Edwin Starr said, war, what is it good for? Absolutely nothing. That's not true. War is good for the economy and for medical and scientific advancements. What it's not good for is people. Blood is spilled too often for too little. Bertrand Russell said, War does not determine who is right, only who is left. As General Patton once said, The object of war is not to die for your country, but to make the other bastard die for his. Today we're going to examine battles and beaches, skirmishes and imbroglios. We're going to let loose the dogs of war, pay tribute to Mars and Aries, and shed a tear for the widows and orphans. Mustering cadet, cause theme time radio hour is going to war. It's going to get heavy in here, so while we can, why don't we start off on a lighter note. Here's a song written by Johnny Mercer and sung by Louis Jordan. It hit number one, both on the pop charts and the black charts, in 1944. There's a song about all the bull you have to go through as a private in the service, listening to the G.I. Jive. PFC, the CPL, the SGT, the LT, CP, the OD, the MP, makes you do cappy. It's a G.I. Jive, man alive. It starts with a bugler blowing reveille over your bed. When you arrive, hey Jack, that's a G.I. Jive. Rudely toot, jump in your suit, make a salute. I revoot after you wash and dress, more or less. You go get your breakfast from a beautiful little cafe they call a mess. Hey Jack, when you convalesce. Out of your seat, into the street, make with your feet, or read. If you're PVT, your duty is to salute the L-I-E-U-T. But if you brush the L-I-E-U-T, 
The MP makes you can't be on the QT. It's just a GI Jive. Man alive. They give you a private tank that features a little device called Fluid Drive. Hey, Jack, after you revive. Chunk all your junk back in your trunk. Fall on your bunk. Clunk. That was Louis Jordan, along with his Timpany Five and G.I. Jive. A lot of abbreviations in that song. Some of you folks who have never served might not know them, so I'm going to run through them real quick. The PFC is Private First Class. CPL is Corporal. SGT is Sergeant. LT is Lieutenant. CP is the command post. OD is on duty or operations directive. MP is the military police. PVT is private. LIEUT is also lieutenant. KP is kitchen patrol. QT is quick time. Some other military abbreviations are AWOL, absent without official leave. Medifac means medical evacuation. There's MIA and KIA. Missing in action and killed in action. SOP is standard operating procedure. And Wilco is the name of the band. We cannot forget Fubar and Snafu. Can't tell you what those mean, because this is a family program. We're going to be covering a lot of different battles today on the show. Some well-known and some not-so-known. Same thing with the artists. You know some of them, and some of them are total ciphers. For example, here's Wilman Watts and the Lonely Eagles. He recorded this song in 1929 for the Paramount label. He was a contemporary of Charlie Poole who also recorded this song. But when they both recorded it, it was already an old song. Wilmer was a bill worker, only made a couple of records. Later on, he was a street corner one-man band, playing up to five instruments at once. Never recorded like that, though. He died in 1943. This is from his heyday, 1929. He's singing about fighting in the war with Spain. I'm called up the volunteers, I shouldered up my gun. First Spaniard that I seen, I dropped my gun and run. But I was fighting for this battleship of Maine. I was fighting in this great war with Spain. Fighting for the battleship of Maine. Oh, get back, Spain, I don't on your name. I'm fighting for this battleship of Maine. I out on the battlefield. 
fell upon my knees. First thing my eyes fell on was a great big pot of beer, but I'm fighting for this battle to remain. The tears, they were greasy, me did was bad. The rest fought the Spaniards, but I was fighting that while I'm fighting for this battle to remain. It's all about this golden rain. All about this fellowship of Maine. Oh, get back, Spain, I don't own your name. I'm fighting for this fellowship of Maine. The blood, it was running, I was running too. You might be good exercise and nothing else to do while I'm fighting for this fellowship of Maine. The captain asked me why I run, was I afraid to die? Told him the reason that I run, because I couldn't fly, but I was fighting for this battleship of Maine. It's all about this golden rain, all about this battleship of Maine. We'll get back Spain, I don't own your name, I'm fighting for this battleship of Maine. I marched around through Cuba, all back to Spain. The shower fall around me just like a shower rain while I'm fighting for this battleship of pain. I marched around through Cuba, I thought I'd lose my life. Before I go to war again, I'd send my darling wife to fight for this battleship of pain. It's all about this golden rain. All about this battleship of Maine. Oh, get back, Spain, I don't own your name. I'm fighting for this battleship of Maine. You ought to see the boat, she come around the fence. She loaded down with American men, ready for war. Honey, baby, sure as you want. Young dodge behind the window. Turn behind the door, but you can't dodge American long 44s while fighting for the battleship of Maine. Wilmer Watson, the Lonely Eagles, fighting in the war with Spain. A lot of people don't remember the Spanish-American War, so let me give you a little thumbnail. Right before the end of the 19th century, the United States had a lot of investments in Cuba. They heard about the harsh conditions imposed on the Cuban people under Spanish rule. Meanwhile, William Randolph Hearst and Joseph Pulitzer had competing newspapers. In each of these newspapers was a comic strip featuring a kid who was yellow in color. These two newspapers also published competing stories of the troubles in Cuba. These stories started to be called Yellow Journalism, taking their name from the Yellow Kid comic strips. The United States citizens were greatly affected by these tales of cruelty so close to their coast and put pressure on the government to intervene. President McKinley was not eager to intervene. Teddy Roosevelt, who was the Assistant Secretary of the Navy at the time, was actively preparing his forces for what he considered to be inevitable. On February 15, 1898, the U.S. Maine was blown up in Havana Harbor. This was the last straw. The papers blamed the Spanish, and the U.S. citizenry demanded justice. Two months later, we were at war. The U.S. won a decisive victory in a short few months, partially due to the heroics of Teddy Roosevelt and his Rough Riders. 
The U.S. was also at an advantage because the fight was so close to home. Spain had a long way to travel to bring reinforcements and supplies. The victory in this battle helped the United States emerge as a world power and ended Spanish colonial rule in Cuba and the Philippines, as well as giving us custody of Puerto Rico and Guam. Long before Pearl Harbor, the Signal Corps of the United States Army knew it would take more than a telephone wire to connect this voice with all the other fighting units that had to hear it. They knew it would take radio transmission. A radio transmitter could coordinate the movement of troops, bring tanks and infantry together at the right place at the right time. This is Theme Time Radio Hour, and we're talking about war. If you look on the label of this next record, it'll tell you it was written by Roy Ikov. Or truth to tell, it was written by Jim England. We'll tell you how Roy got it after we play it. But first, let me tell you about the guys singing it. They're known as the Bales Brothers, and there were four of them. Kyle, Tony, Walter, and Homer. They seldom worked as an entire group, usually pairing off like the Lupin Brothers or Johnny and Jack. Roy Acuff gave them their big break and suggested they appear on the Grand Old Opry. They recorded a number of songs, including this one, Searching for a Soldier's Grave. Tell him that I love him 
his grave. That was Searching for a Soldier's Grave, written by Jimmy England, who was a member of the England Brothers. He wanted to be a science fiction writer, but ended up as a pretty good songwriter. Roy Acuff was a smart guy. He had written some songs in his time. Publishers in New York kept trying to buy them from him. And even when he had no money, he realized that if people were coming from New York City and offered him $1,000 for a song, it had some value. Roy Acuff, with a friend of his by the name Fred Rose, started a company that was Carl Acuff Rose. And eventually, they published or owned the songs of Hank Williams, The Louvins, Don Gibson, Roy Orbison, Baudelude, Felice Bryant, the Everly Brothers, Pee Wee King's Tennessee Waltz, for example. They owned that one. They made millions off of that one alone. In 2002, Acuff Rose was purchased by Sony for over $150 million. Way to go, Roy. We last heard from our next artist on our President's Day show. And that makes sense, because he's a Clipsonian. And Calypso music is a great way to transmit history and news. Here's proof of that by Attila the Hun, or as his mom called him, Raymond Quavedo. He's from Port of Spain, Trinidad, and he has the same middle name as Smokey the Bear. There's Attila the Hun and the Horrors of War. I heard an ex-soldier exclaim, never me go to fight again. I heard an ex-soldier exclaim, never me go to fight again. Why should I take a rifle in hand to shoot and murder my brother man? In fact, why did you should I go to war when I don't know what the devil are fighting for? War, I had to tell this ex-soldier, was the work of politicians I feared. And I went on to describe 1914 and the horrible things I had seen. When the flower of the manhood of the nation, with music, songs and jubilation, went to the front upright, brave and came, not knowing millions would not come back again. I turn to the other side of the picture, which is even more revolting, I fear. With a broken-hearted mother, bowed on and gray, all she can do for her boy is pray. The sweetheart and sister with tortured brain, reading the names of those in battle slain. And tell me, why did you, should I go to war, when I don't know what the devil are fighting for? The object of this song is an exhortation Addressed to the rising generation Fighting is surely humanity's bane So from this barbarism abstain Put science and literature to the fore And definitely ban the red god of war For this the only way that the world would be Decidedly safe for democracy <laughs> That was Attila the Hun telling us to abstain from barbarism and put science and literature to the fore and definitely ban the red blood of war. 
Of course, he wasn't the first to tell us that, and he wasn't the first Attila the Hun. That honor goes to the scourge of the gods. At least that's what the Romans called him. He was born in 406 AD, and by 433, he was the king and general of the Hun Empire, which at that point was most of Asia. In 434, the Roman Emperor Theodosius II offered to tell 660 pounds of gold every year in the hopes of having peace with the Huns. Nope. Attila moved forward, pressing ever westward. He passed through Austria and Germany, plundering and devastating all in his path. In 451, he turned his attention to Italy. In 452, he met Pope Leo I, who convinced him not to sack Rome. He died a year later, not on the battlefield, but on his wedding night. He wasn't a heavy drinker, but drank heavily that night. He passed out flat on his back, suffered a massive nosebleed, and choked to death in his own blood. There were millions of people in lands that he conquered who have loved to have seen it. Our next performer hails from Peebles, Scotland. He left school at 16, became a manual laborer, a clerk, and a bartender. He moved to Australia in 1969 to work as an accountant. In 1974, he recorded this next song. Let me give you a little background. A Matilda was the name given to the pack of an Australian bushman or swipe man. To waltz Matilda was to carry a pack around the bush. In Gallipoli, 50,000 soldiers from Australia died in a stupid and pointless campaign. It has never been forgotten in Australia, and every April, a march is held on Anzac Day to commemorate the Gallipoli landings during the First World War. They take this day so seriously that it is the only day in the year that the pubs are closed. The singer of our next song, Eric Bogle, wrote this song after observing one such parade. He's going to tell you all about the band Waltzing Matilda. Now when I was a young man, I carried me pack, and I lived the free life on the rover. From the Murray's Green Basin to the dusty outback, well, I waltzed my Matilda all over. Then in 1915, my country said, Son, it's time you stop rambling, there's work to be done. So they gave me a tin hat and they gave me a gun. And they marched me away to the war And the band played waltzing Matilda As the ship pulled away from the quay And amidst all the cheers The flag waving and tears We sailed off for Gallipoli And how well I remember That terrible day How our blood stained the sand and the water And of how in that hell That they called Suvla Bay We were butchered like lambs at the slaughter Johnny Turkey was white and he primed himself well He showered us with bullets and he rained us with shell 
And in five minutes flat He'd blown us all to hell Nearly blew us right back to Australia But the band played waltzing Matilda When we stopped to bury our slain We buried ours and the Turks buried theirs Then we started all over again And those that were left, well we tried to survive In that mad world of blood, death and fire And for ten weary weeks I kept myself alive Though around me the corpses piled higher Then a big Turkish shell knocked me arse overhead And when I woke up in me hospital bed And saw what it had done, well I wished I was dead Never knew there was worse things than dying For I'll go no more waltzing Matilda All around the green bush far and free To hum tents and pegs A man needs both legs No more waltzing Matilda for me So they gathered the crippled the wounded the maimed and they shipped us back home to Australia The legless the armless the blind the insane those proud wounded heroes of Suvla And as our ship pulled into Circular Quay I looked at the place where me legs used to be And thank Christ there was nobody waiting for me To grieve, to mourn and to pity But the band played waltzing Matilda As they carried us down the gangway But nobody cheered They just stood and stared Then they turned all their faces away And so now, every April I sit on my porch And I watch the parade pass before me And I see my old comrades How proudly they march Reviving old dreams of past glories And the old men march slowly All bones stiff and sore They're tired old heroes From a forgotten war And the young people ask, what are they marching for? And I ask myself the same question. But the band 
lies waltzing Matilda And the old men still answer the call But as year follows year More old men disappear Someday no one will march there at all Waltzing Matilda Waltzing Matilda Who come waltzing Matilda with me And their ghosts may be heard As they march by that billabong Who come waltzing Matilda with me That was Eric Bogle and the band played Watson Matilda. Sun Tzu in The Art of War said, If you're going into battle, first you must win it in your mind. Only then can you win it on the battlefield. It was the spring of 1915. Winston Churchill and Lord Kitchener didn't know what they were getting into when they wanted to open a sea lane to the Russians through the Black Sea. They suffered from what the Greeks called hubris, the extreme arrogance of power. The campaign was a fiasco. The flotilla retreated after sustaining heavy damage from Turkish guns and from mines strewn across the channel. In April, they landed on Gallipoli Peninsula and attempted to secure the shores. The Turks were in trenches on the high ground, pouring down artillery like rain. They had machine guns and mowed down the Australian, New Zealand, Irish, French and British troops below. Casualties were high, quarter of a million for the British and French while the Ottoman Turks suffered around 300,000 casualties. There was no clear winner. The failed campaign badly tarnished both Churchill's and Kitchener's reputations. Victorious warriors win first and then go to war, while defeated warriors go to war first and then seek to win. Sun Tzu, smart fella. I don't have to tell you so much about this next battle, because all the details in the song are true. It was written by a high school principal named Jimmy Driftwood, who enjoyed putting historical facts to song to keep his students entertained and informed. Kind of like what we like to do here on Theme Time Radio Hour. Here's Jimmy Driftwood's song, as sung by Johnny Horton, a number one pop and country single, and believe it or not, number three on the black charts, is the Battle of New Orleans. Down the mighty Mississippi We took a little bacon and we took a little beans And we caught the bloody British in a town in New Orleans We fired our guns and the British kept a-coming There wasn't as many as there was a while ago We fired once more and they began to run it On down the Mississippi to the Gulf of Mexico We looked down the river and we see the British come And there must have been a hundred of them beating on the drum They stepped so high and they made the bugles ring We stood beside our cotton bales and didn't say a thing We fired our guns and the British kept a-coming There wasn't as many as there was a while ago We fired once more and they began to run it On down the Mississippi to the Gulf of Mexico Old Hickory said we could take them by surprise If we didn't fire muskets till we looked them in the eye We held our fire 
till we see their faces well. Then we opened up our squirrel guns and really gave them well. We fired our guns and the British kept coming. There wasn't as many as there was a while ago. We fired once more and they began to run it. On down the Mississippi to the Gulf of Mexico. We grabbed an alligator and we fought another round. We filled his head with cannonballs and powdered his behind. And when we touched the powder off, the gator lost his mind. We fired our guns and the British kept a coming. There wasn't as many as there was a while ago. We fired once more and they began to run it. On down the Mississippi to the Gulf of Mexico. That was the Battle of New Orleans by Johnny Horton. You know, for a while, Johnny hosted a radio show in Pasadena. I like to point out anybody who did a radio show. He did this show under the name The Singing Fisherman. I should have used that name. We've told you an awful lot about Stephen Foster. Let's hear one of his songs that you might not know. It's sung by the Canadian sisters, Kate and Anna McGarrigal. If you know them, you probably know that they wrote the title song for Linda Ronstadt's album, Hot Like a Wheel. Here they are from the album Songs of the Civil War. I don't know why they call it the Civil War. It was hardly civil. Anyway, this song was written by Stephen Foster, and it's called Was My Brother in the Battle. Tell me, tell me, weary soldier, from the rude and stirring wars, was my brother in the Cherished flight 
That was Kate and Anna McGarrigal, was my brother in the battle. Some of the big battles in the Civil War took place at Fort Sumter, Fort Bull Run, Harper's Ferry in West Virginia, Vicksburg, Mississippi, can't forget Gettysburg, Sharpsburg, and Antietam. The Civil War, some say, was the first modern war. Death was big business. Up until then, the dead were just left on the battlefield for the crows. But during the Civil War, coffins and embalming were big business. There were a lot of other famous firsts. The Civil War was the first time we saw a workable machine gun, a snuggle breathing device, aerial reconnaissance, flamethrowers, military telegraphs, the Medal of Honor, telescopic sights for rifles, repeating rifles, and it was the first use of the bugle called taps. More and more people were becoming victims of photography, and the famous photographer Matthew Brady gave us dispatches from the front bringing the war home in the same way the television networks do today. We'll be talking more about the Civil War in a little while. But first, let's jump almost a hundred years and go to Korea. This is a record by little Maxie Bailey on the Accelera record label out of Nashville, Tennessee. This record talks about the end of segregation in the United States Army, which finally happened during the Korean War. After six months of fighting, there were insufficient white replacement troops, while black enlistments were out at an all-time high. Men fought together and forgot their petty hatreds. Here's little Maxie Bailey and Drive, Soldiers, Drive. Ha <laughs> 
be done. We can win this war, but make it fast. And Uncle Sam won't have to ration that gas. Drive, soldiers, drive. Drive, soldiers, drive. You can tear up things with that new ammunition. We're in this war, but we're not alone. Let's finish this war, then we'll all go home. Drive, soldiers, drive. Drive, soldiers, drive. Bill Maxie Bailey, drive on, soldier, drive on. Thank you, Lieutenant Don Briggs, speaking for Corporal Bob Carroll, Sergeant Mel Powell, Ray McKinley, and all the boys. Welcome to another go-round with the band of the training command. Sergeant Ray McKinley rolls off. The band plays American Patrol. You know what you don't see anymore? Celebrities fighting in wars. I mean, really fighting in them. Not doing battle in some movie. I mean, look at the World War II. Famous people really put their lives on the line. Yogi Bear was in the Navy. Mel Brooks was in the Army. This was before they became famous. What about Clark Gable? He was a big star, but he still found time to get the Distinguished Flying Cross as a member of the Air Force. Mark Hudson was in the Navy. All the Kennedys served. John Kennedy, Robert Kennedy, and George Kennedy. It wasn't related, but was a Kennedy nonetheless. Rod Serling and Burgess Meredith served. Rod Steiger and Ted Williams. And Sylvester Stallone <laughs> fought battles on two fronts, in the movies and on the battlefield. Bravery unparalleled. The tall man with a high hat and a whiskers on his chin will soon be knocking at your door. And you ought to be in. The tall man with the high hat will be coming down your way. Get your savings out when you hear him shout, and he wants today. Come on and get him, folks. Come on, skip right up and get him. There are many different kinds of wars. Perhaps the most famous one of the 60s was the Cold War. I know there were other ones in the 60s, but I got a song about the Cold War, and I needed a transition. <laughs> The song was a little bit after Bernard Baruch had coined the phrase in 1947. He said, let us not be deceived. We are today in the midst of a cold war. Our enemies are to be found abroad. Let us never forget this. Our unrest is the heart of their success. The peace of the world is the hope and the goal of our political system. It is the despair and defeat of those who stand against us. The speech was actually written by Herbert Bayard Swope. And I'm not sure if either Swope or Baruch would agree with Floyd Tillman's use of the phrase, but it sure sold a lot of records in 1949. Here's Floyd Tillman singing about this Cold War with you. The sun goes down and leaves me sad and blue The iron curtain falls on this cold war with you Though you won't speak 
speak that's true Two stubborn people with a cold war to go through Like you and me Whose cold, cold wars Are never done And whose hearts Just can't be free Oh, let's do right Or let's just say We're through I just can't stand Another cold, cold war Stars Out of Heaven, G.I. Blues, which we could have played today, too. And in 1949, you had a hit with a song called Slippin' Around, which was one of the first country songs about cheating. Interestingly, a lot of his heartbreak songs were played on Japanese propaganda radio by Tokyo Rose. The thought being that songs of heartbreak might strike a chord in American soldiers and cause them to desert. This is your number one enemy, your favorite playmate, Radio Tokyo, the little sunbeam whose throat you'd like to cut. This program tonight is especially dedicated to the boys of the 509th group, which just landed on Tinian. Oh, sorry, that's supposed to be a secret. In the middle of World War II, the American Federation of Musicians went on strike. They were trying to get royalties from the record companies and to compensate musicians who had lost work because of competition from recorded music. The strike dragged down a year, and one of the worst things about it was that it also cut off the supply of new music for the troops overseas. A guy named Robert Vincent, who was a sound engineer and a lieutenant, went to the War Department and told him that he wanted to record music just for the troops. He got permission from Washington and also from the striking union. He had a promise that these discs would be for military use only and would not be available commercially. They would be destroyed after the war. 
He called them V-Discs, saying that the V stood for victory. But I think it was because the V stood for his name, Vincent. These V-Discs were 12 inches instead of 10 inches, meaning they could be longer, allowing the musicians to stretch out. There were over 3,000 separate V-Discs made, and most of them were destroyed after the war. But not all of them. I don't mind telling you that the music you hear in the background is from a V-Disc. I won't tell you who it is, because I might end up getting in trouble. This next song was a hit for Donovan, but this is a lady who wrote it. She was born on the Pierpont Reserve in Saskatchewan, Canada, to Cree Indian parents, though she was later adopted by a white family. She was equally adept at country music, rock and roll. She did a bit of acting. She was very active politically, and she worked in children's television. Her name is Buffy St. Marie, and she's quite a talent. If you were a child of a certain age, you're going to recognize her from Sesame Street. She co-wrote the theme to an officer and a gentleman winning the Oscar with her husband and co-writer, Jack Nietzsche. She recorded with Ryan Cooter and with Crazy Horse. Wrote songs that Elvis Presley recorded and this song. Universal Soldier is Buffy St. Marie. He's been a soldier for a thousand years He's a Catholic, a Hindu, an atheist, a Jain A Buddhist and a Baptist and a Jew And he knows he shouldn't kill And he knows he always will kill you For me, my friend, and me for you He's fighting for France He's fighting for the USA And he's fighting for the Russians And he's fighting for Japan And he thinks we'll put an end to war this way And he's fighting for democracy He's fighting for the Reds He says it's for the peace of all He's the one who must decide to live and who's to die and he never sees the writing on the wall but without him how would Hitler have condemned him at Dachau without him Caesar would have stood alone he's the one who gives his body as a weapon of the war and without him all this killing can't go on he's the universal soldier and he really is That was Buffy St. Marie here on Theme Time Radio Hour. And Buffy was singing about the Universal Soldier, which is a far cry from a soldier of fortune. A soldier of fortune is a mercenary, a professional soldier hired to serve in a foreign army. The United States has many celebrated mercenaries, some who are hired by this country and some who are from this country and hired to fight somewhere else. Among them, the privateers, who harassed British shipping during the War of Independence and during the War of 1812. John Paul Jones, who took time off from Led Zeppelin to be an admiral in the Russian Navy. 
There was the Lafayette Escadrille, a squadron of the French Air Force, composed entirely of Americans during World War I. And there were the Flying Tigers. This is a group of American pilots who flew on behalf of Chiang Kai-shek in World War II. Soldiers of Fortune Not all mercenaries, of course, are American. Some of them are hired by America, such as the German Hessians that Washington hired to help us out with the Revolutionary War. They weren't exactly soldiers of fortune, however. They were pressed into duty. Impressment is a system of forced conscription into the armed forces, usually of the poor and destitute. In effect, it's a form of kidnapping. So getting back to these Hessians, there they are in Germany, and they get conscripted, or drafted, if you will. And next thing you know, they're on a boat ready to fight a war in someone else's country. Well, granted, they were fighting our war, and I'm grateful, but you gotta wonder what they were thinking. Probably, what the hell am I doing here? I mean, look, the first battle the Hessians fought was the Battle of Long Island. Now, I don't know if you've ever been to Long Island, but it's a lot different than Hamburg or Dusseldorf. Theme Time Radio Hour with our wartime salute. There's a lot of great soul singers, and one who had a lot of hits but never quite gets his due is Joe Tex. He was born Joseph Arrington Jr., but took Tex after his birth date. Being a Southern boy, he was a big fan of country music. He loved country songs that had those moral narratives. He took that and mixed it in with the preachers he heard as a boy and created a distinctive form of Southern soul. He used to say that he would shout before he went on stage to make himself hoarse. He felt he sounded better that way. He put more passion in his sound and made it more authentic. He had a number of hits. Perhaps his biggest was in 1972. It was called I Gotcha. And he surprised the world after that by leaving the world of music to become a Muslim minister. He went from Joe Tex to Joseph X. Though he later changed his name again to Yusuf Aziz. He passed away on October 12th. 1982. He was only 49 years old. He had an amazing group of pallbearers. Wilson Pickett, Ben E. King, Don Covey, and Percy Mayfield. The Soul Clan gathered to carry home one of their own. Here's Doe with a song that's a letter home. I believe I'm going to make it. When I got your letter, babe. What I did, baby, <laughs> you won't believe it. I raised up and got me two more enemies. Oh, yes, I did. Listen, that's why I believe that I'm going to make it. Tell everybody back home, I believe that I'm going to make it. And baby, I'll be home. Jack and Robbie 
Texas, Joe Tex. He's gonna jump up and get himself two more enemies faster than you can say Batman and Robin. We got a lot of mail after our blood show last week because of that song we played by Jerry Lee Lewis called Lust of the Blood. We're gonna dip back into the same place for this one. If you missed that show, this is from a 1966 rock version of Othello called Catch My Soul. It was produced and written by Jack Good, and Jerry Lee Lewis played Iago. Well, who else would he play? You know, when I say it was written by Jack Good, I'm leaving out a pretty important guy by the name of Shakespeare. Let me bring you up to speed on the play. We're in Act 2, Scene 3. Othello had recently promoted Cassio to lieutenant. Iago thought the promotion should have been his. Iago is a plotter. He gets Cassio drunk. Cassio kills another man and discredits himself in the eyes of Othello. Let's join the action. Here's Jerry Lee Lewis and let a soldier drink. To the health of all Jerry! Yeah! I'm Lieutenant, and I'll do you justice. Woo! Oh, sweeting! Let me the can again clink, clink. Let me the can again clink. Soldier's a man and a last but a span. Why then let a soldier drink? Let me the can again clink. Yeah! Let me the can again clink. Black, but also has a wit. She'll find a white that shall a blackness fit. A soldier's a man, a last but a span. A while that a soldier drank, a little mechanic and clean. Whoa, let me the mechanic and clean. Let me the mechanic and clean, clean. And then let a soldier drink. There's none so fast and foolish, too. But does foul pranks as white ones do. 
soldier's a man, life but a span. Why let a soldier drink? Let me kind of get clean. Let me the kind of get clean. God's above all, and there be souls must be saved, and there be souls must not be saved. Hmm, it's true, good lieutenant. For mine own part, no offense to the general, nor any man of quality, I hope to be saved. Ah, and so do I, too, good lieutenant. Aye, but by your leave, not before me. Charlie Lewis, Shakespearean actor, here on Deep Time Radio Hour. Another time, another war. Let's take a look at the Buffalo Soldiers. They were a unit comprised of former slaves, freemen, and black Civil War soldiers, and were the first to serve during peacetime. Throughout the Indian Wars, about 20% of the U.S. cavalry was black, and they fought over 177 engagements. Their combat prowess, bravery, tenacity, and dark curly hair inspired the Indians to call them Buffalo Soldiers. They received 18 Medals of Honor during the Western Campaign and 23 of them received the nation's highest military award during the Civil War. Bob Marley, a man regarded as a poet and a prophet, wrote a song about them. Here's Bob with the Whalers and Buffalo Soldier. Yeah. 
Buffalo Soldier by Bob Marley and the Wailers. I know it's a serious song, and I know a lot of you know this already. But doesn't the end of it sound like the theme from The Banana Splits? I mean, listen. Some say that war is a game that men play using boys as the tools. Truth to tell, you don't see many men in battle, but you see a lot of boys. Wars used to be fought by men, and I think that's fairer. They're waging the war, go out and fight it. Boys have always been a part of war. Perhaps it's the glamour. For instance, there were over 300 soldiers under the age of 13 in the Civil War. Most of them slipped in as fife players and drummers, but there were some who actually saw a battle. For example, George S. Lampkin joined the Mississippi Battery when he was 11 years old, and before his 12th birthday was severely wounded at Shallow. John Bailey Tyler was born in Frederick, Maryland in 1849. He was 12 years old when the war started. He fought with his regiment till the end. The youngest U.S. serviceman in World War II was a fellow by the name of Calvin Graham. He served in the United States Navy. He was wounded in combat and was given a dishonorable discharge because he lied about his age. Later, his benefits were restored by an act of Congress. And in many other countries such as Africa, it's not unusual to see children out there fighting with Bushmaster M4s. Too often you see these young people stopped in their tracks after being struck by an 82mm mortar round. Where will the madness end? Bill and Charlie Monroe started serving as dancers. But luckily for all of us, they switched interests and became two of the leading lights of bluegrass. Bill went off on his own and recorded up until he passed away in the 90s. But this is a song he recorded with his brother Charlie back in 1936 for the Bluebird label out of Chicago. Here are the Monroe Brothers. Here on Theme Time Radio Hour, I'm the Forgotten Soldier Boy. I'm just a poor ex-soldier that's broken
shelter and bread. Although we fought in no man's land and a many poor boy is dead, so listen to my story and lend a helping hand to the poor forgotten soldier boy who fought to save our land. That was the Monroe Brothers singing about the forgotten soldier boy. Here's a true story about some forgotten soldier boys. A strange moment in U.S. history. After the First World War, the federal government figured out that its war risk insurance plan would protect American soldiers who had served. In 1924, though, Congress enacted a law. President Coolidge didn't want it, but this law provided for a system of adjusting compensation. It was based on how long you served, with a distinction made if you served overseas. Under this law, you got a certificate that would mature in 20 years. These certificates, or bonds, would accumulate compound interest, and each soldier would get a larger sum in 1945. But by 1932, loans amounting to over a billion dollars were outstanding. Congress, once again against the President's wishes, approved a new proposal for immediate redemption. Now this early redemption capability came to be referred to as a bonus. Hoover, who was now the president, opposed it because the country was trying to work its way out of the Depression and he didn't think they had the money. In 1932, large groups of World War I veterans descended on Washington. By mid-June, there were 20,000 of them. They were camping out, sometimes with their families, in dirty, unsanitary conditions, setting up tents in parks and military bases, asking for handouts and getting donations from governments, churches, and private citizens. The House passed the bonus bill, but the Senate shut it down. At this point, they tried to get the veterans to go home, but they wouldn't. They wanted to stay till they got their bonus. During July, these veterans, calling themselves the Bonus Expeditionary Force, held marches and rallies. They received ultimatums to leave. On July 29, 1932, U.S. troops stormed several buildings that these veterans used as their main camp. They set tents on fire, and they forced an evacuation. When the horrible moment was over, one veteran had been killed and over 50 people. Veterans and police had been injured in various confrontations. Over the next several months, a smaller group continued to pressure Congress. And in May of 33, a thousand veterans marched again on Washington. FDR was in office then. He opposed the bonus pay, but he had concern for the unemployed veterans and worked on how to get them jobs. They realized that Roosevelt was going to veto the bill, but appreciated his attempt at helping them. He turned it into a non-issue, and eventually, the veterans' bonus faded from the news. A disturbing footnote in the history of this country, and one of the few times when the U.S. Army had to face its hardest enemy, itself. I am the American soldier. For the American people, my family, my fellows, my sons to come, I carry arms. One staple of songs about the war, about any war actually, is the letter. Sometimes it's a letter that the guy writes from the battlefield. Other times it's a letter from home. In the past we've talked about Dear John letters. And earlier in the show, Doe Tech sang about a letter he had written. But the worst kind of letter of all to receive was what written by a military chaplain. It usually had a line in it. Something like, you'd be delighted to know that your son died a hero, and his thoughts were with you. It's a nice sentiment, but I doubt it was any solace. 
Tom Waits recently wrote a song that's a letter from a soldier. It's from his album Real Gone. Here's Tom Waits, a day after tomorrow. I got your letter today. And I miss you all so much here. I can't wait to see you all. And I'm counting the days here. I still believe that there's gold at the end of the world And I'll come home to Illinois on the day after tomorrow It is so hard and it's cold here And I'm tired of taking orders And I miss old Rockford Town Up by the Wisconsin border But I miss you won't believe Shoveling snow and raking leaves And my plane will touch down After tomorrow I close my eyes Every night And I dream That I can hold you They fill us full of lies Everyone buys about what it means to be a soldier. I still don't know how I'm supposed to feel about all the blood that's been spilled. Will God on his throne get me back home on the day after tomorrow? Can't deny the other side. Don't wanna die any more than we do. What I'm trying to say is, don't they pray to the same God that we?
freedom. I am fighting for my life. And another day in the world here. I just do what I've been told. We're just the gravel on the road. And only the lucky ones come home on the day after tomorrow. And the summer it too will fade, and with it brings the winter's frost, dear. And I know. Twenty-one today. I've been saving all my pay. That was Tom Waits and the day after tomorrow. A lot of boys can't wait to get home. And even when you do, it's no guarantee that life goes back the way it was. In 1946, Samuel Goldman made a film called The Best Years of Our Lives. It's all about the difficult traumatic adjustments the three returning servicemen have to make when they come back from World War II. They have to deal with unemployment, adulterous wives, alcoholism, and ostracism. This picture won Academy Award for Best Film and it has three stars. Frederick March, who played an alcoholic veteran, Dana Andrews, who's an Air Force bombardier, and Harold Russell, he's the least known, but he made the biggest impact. He played a sailor named Homer Paris. Who was Harold Russell, you wonder? Well, he was a soldier who was a double amputee. He was training paratroopers when some TNT he was using exploded in his hands. He lost both of them. He received hooks and became so adept at using them, he was chosen to make an army training film called Diary of a Sergeant. The director, William Wilder, saw the film and decided to change one of the characters in the best years of our lives, making him a double amputee. Harold Russell received a special honorary Oscar for bringing hope and courage to his fellow veterans. He is the only actor to ever win two Oscars for the same role. When I came to, I was on a cruiser. My hands were off. They took care of me fine. They trained me to use these things. I can dial telephones, I can drive a car, I can even put nickels in a jukebox. <laughs> I'm all right. Boy, you ought to see me open a bottle of beer. I forgot all about this song till I heard it the other day in a Walmart by a singer named Frida Payne. She sang with Duke Ellington for a while. Barry Gordy wanted to sign her. She toured with Quincy Jones and Bill Cosby and had a big hit with a song called Band of Gold. This one was written by Angelo Bond, Greg Perry, and our old friend General Johnson. It received a lot of airplay in the States, but it was banned by the U.S. command from Armed Forces Radio for fear that it would give aid and comfort to the enemy. I don't think this message can do that. I think it's a good message. Here's Peter Payne and bring the boys home. 
That was Frida Payne and Bring the Boys Home. You fans of Nutty Professor, too, probably remember seeing Frida in that movie when she hosted a short-lived talk show back in the 80s called Today's Black Woman. This is Theme Time Radio Hour, and we're getting near the end of the show. I wish it was as easy to get to the end of war. As Albert Einstein once said, you cannot prevent and prepare for war at the same time. And there's always going to be people out there preparing for it. Makes it awful hard for the rest of us to prevent it. So all we can do is just keep our eyes open and hope for the best. And sometimes music can help you do that. You know it is the peace symbol, but originally it was an anti-nuclear emblem. It was created by request of Lord Bertrand Russell. Gerald Hotham designed it as a badge of the Direct Action Committee Against Nuclear War. The original sketches show a symbol that stood for the death of man and the unborn child. The symbol caught on quickly in the U.S., but was used more often to represent general peace as opposed to strictly nuclear disarmament. It was worn by anti-Vietnam protesters, and many supporters of the war call it the footprint of the great American chicken. Call it what you want, it is still instantly recognizable, and has never been copywritten, so the message can be used by all people always. I'm going to leave you now with this song, because I didn't want to end an hour of war talk without taking a moment to give you the opposing view. I'm going to let Los Lobos do it, and join them in wishing you simply peace. Stay safe, and I'll see you next week.
trees are tall Higher than the mountains Stronger than the sun Peacefully in the park singing We Shall Overcome. Deep Tracks. 